Hi, this is David Spray, and welcome to another episode of Podcasting Stories. My guest today is John McDonough. John has a really interesting service that I had never really heard of, and it's very uh, little utilized, and it allows the owners and key employees of privately held companies that have an enterprise value in excess of $10 million to accomplish multiple financial objectives that are seemingly disconnected with a single financial strategy. It's really fascinating. I'll let him get into all the details. But if you have a privately held business with an enterprise value north of $10 million, or you're the advisor or a key employee to such a business, then this is an episode I would recommend you really taking a close listen to. Additionally, we're helping John to launch uh, his own podcast, talking specifically about this concept with uh, case stories and things to look out for. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. My guest today is John McDonough, Senior Director at Cool Springs Financial, a financial solution organization. John helps business owners, executives, and key employees with strategies for executive compensation, employee retention, bonus structures, etc., all designed with little to no cost to the company and little to no tax to the employee. John received a bachelor's degree in marketing from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte while playing on the soccer team. John married his high school sweetheart, and the two are proud parents of beautiful daughters. He is passionate about his faith, family, and friends. In his spare time, when John isn't golfing, he's helping those in need through philanthropic initiatives he and his wife believe in deeply. They live in Houston, Texas, metro area. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. So let's just get to, get right into it. So how did, did you get into the financial services business right out of college? Um, I interned at, at a big broker wirehouse while I was in college or a reputable firm. But no, I was supposed to be a, a professional, a retired professional soccer player by now. Oh. You know, I, I went to school for soccer. I played D1 soccer and I was fairly competitive at a really competitive university. And I had sights set on greater things. I had visions of the Olympics and visions of professional career. But <laughs> you, you can't put in what God left out. So I had some some shortfall from a talent standpoint. I was good, but I wasn't great. And I was never going to be a, a star athlete. And at the time, the professional league here in the United States was was not really up to the financial standards of making a living. So mm-hmm. to answer your very short question, I, I made the decision about nine months after college, after I graduated semi-pro ball, I made the decision to start my business career. And I went back on what something my dad told me, which is, you know, you're in control of your career if you're always in some sort of a sales position. And mm-hmm. my financial background having interned at that wirehouse. So I found myself um, putting my resume for the financial services industry. Okay. So then, so within a year after getting out of college, you, you know, shifted to your long-term career in the financial services arena. And what was it that attracted you to the business other than you were, it was a sales opportunity and you were in control of your destiny, like your dad mentioned? Yeah, well, I've always been intrigued. I had always been intrigued by the idea of 
how money works and how wealthy individuals seem to get wealthier. You know, I noticed that as a young kid growing up in school and definitely in college as your exposure to those things become greater. And I was just always intrigued by that. I was also wanting to not duplicate the path that my parents took. I mean, my mom was a school teacher and administrator in the public school system. My dad was a mid-level manager for oil and gas companies all throughout his career and was at the at the um, mercy of the price of oil. And if it's good, you know, the world's great. And if it's not good, he's out of a job. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to struggle in that environment. So I really wanted to know how finances work. And you know, I started broad as a financial advisor and just kind of tightened it up as the years went on to become specialized. Okay. That is a, that answer makes sense. That's actually, I just realized we have something in common with our background. My dad sold equipment into the oil and gas space and, and we experienced the same phenomenon of, of just, you know, it's a kind of a feast or famine thing. And it's, and I've always said in some ways it's better to be like middle class your whole life than to be, you know, lower middle to alternate between lower middle and upper middle, because it's like once you've had a taste of the upper, it's harder to go back. Well, in every successful business owner I talk to, not every, almost every successful business owner I talk to or, or wealthy individual, they're self-made. They started from nothing. Mm-hmm. And the memories that they tell me, like mine as as young human beings and children is, you know, we didn't know we didn't have two nickels to rub together. Money was never even a thought. So the world was just what the world was, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. just, as a kid, you don't know any better and you just start growing up. It's only when you get exposed to it as you get older. And and that's a common DNA trait or thread that I find in most of our clientele and probably yours as well is most of it is self-made and just bootstrapping it and having appreciation for for the world that we came from. Yeah. And that's one of the things that you know is frustrating to me about the narrative that wealthy people had all of the advantages and that's why they're wealthy today. And that's really frustrating because, uh, you know, like you, I mean, I am, am self-made and my wife is self-made and it's really kind of annoying to 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 just be said, well, hey, because you're a white male, just you know, everything was given to you and your life was easy. Yeah, it's a it's a tough situation. We I feel like we live in an upside down world right now to a certain yeah. extent. Yep, I understand. So well, let's go ahead and, and get to the to the good part of your career. So that would be when you joined Cool Springs Financial. Now, how long ago was that and what inspired you to join them? Yeah, so it was probably, you know, getting close to 10 years ago now. And what what intrigued me to join them is I, I as being a independent financial advisor, I went off on my own. I left the big box financial firm, started my own company kind of in the 2009-2010 world. And at that same time, I joined a member-owned insurance organization in the independent insurance world. Okay. In that organization, after a year or two being there, I was elected to the board of directors of this company, and there's 200 members of this company. And on the board of directors, I came to know, befriend, and become very close with Sam Watson, the chairman and CEO of Cool Springs Financial. 
And I knew where I was is not where I wanted to stay in terms of what my business model looked like. I, I didn't want to be the 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 generic planner for people. I really look when I played soccer, I was a goalkeeper. So I I appreciate specialization in 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 the field. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. And so I really sure. I really wanted to specialize in the financial services world. And so I came to know Sam. I came to be very comfortable with him. He's a strong believer in his faith. He's a a bootstrap guy from the ground up himself and is is an innovator in the insurance industry. And he is a a pioneer. He's a disruptor to use a technological term or a technology term that's being thrown around these days. He's mm-hmm. a disruptor. And he's very uber successful. And I always was taught and believed you become like those you associate yourself with. So I always tried to attach myself to the smartest people in the room, the most successful people in the room in my eyes. And so I kind of tagged along and he brought me under his wing. And then as God would have it, you know, years go by, we're on the board of directors for six or seven years with one another, understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses. And his daughters, very smart, intelligent women, they just don't have a heart for being in the business. And so as part of his succession plan, he started looking to me to be his succession plan. So when we rolled out, when Cool Springs rolled out the prestige design, which is the employee retention executive bonus structure that we use for companies and corporations, I was one of the first three cities outside of Nashville that started that national rollout. And so it was was Houston, which is where I'm headquartered, DC, LA, and Nashville. And so that's kind of how the impetus of this, this Cool Springs Financial really got rolling almost seven years ago now. Okay. Well, yeah, thank you for the backstory because I I should have actually, you know, talked a bit more about that. So that was, you know, coming on close to 10 years. So how do you describe your firm's services? You kind of touched a little bit on the prestige design, but why don't you just kind of give you the whole story on what Cool Springs does? Yeah, Cool Springs... um has been around for 30 some odd years. And Cool Springs is a community just south of Nashville, Tennessee in the Brentwood, Franklin, Cool Springs area. So Cool Springs is an actual city just outside of Nashville. And that's the name Cool Springs Financial. It's where Sam lives and Sam's headquarters have been for the past decades. And what Cool Springs specializes in is in financed insurance designs. Now, Up until about seven years ago, that focus was on ultra high net worth individuals and estate planning issues. And it still is. That's still a big slice of what we do. So especially in today's environment, in the current administration, when they're looking to bring the exclusion amount for estate taxes down from about 25 million per couple down to the rumor is maybe 10 million per couple, wealthy individuals that own privately held companies that have assets, that's an issue. And the idea of paying 50 to 55 cents on every dollar over that to the federal government upon death for your beneficiaries, your children, your grandchildren, it's not a fun thought. So Cool Springs was really 
founded on those strategies for ultra high net worth individuals. And our clients have never written a premium check for the life insurance policy. It's okay. financed. We finance those premium checks from the highest, most credible lenders in the country. What happened in, you know, 10 years ago, seven years ago was Sam was able to work with the carriers, the life insurance carriers, and redesign a product so that we were able to apply this in the corporate space and use that same principle of financed insurance, getting the loans from the, the lenders to finance the premiums. The client has interest expense on that, but the cost of borrowing money relative to the potential growth of the policy, the cash value, there's an arbitrage opportunity there. And we're able to use that as executive retention tools, as possibly recruiting tools as well for certain types of industries and executives. We're able to use it as um, a long-term incentive plan opportunity, an alternative to stock options, an alternative to an equity grant, an alternative to restricted stock units. We use it as a key employee setup and even as funding buy-sell agreements where you have multiple business owners of a privately held company. And we do all of that without the client having to write the premium check. So we're not digging into their profitability. We're not digging into their cash flow. It's financed. Gotcha. So uh, thank you for that uh, comprehensive answer. So I'm going to want to start to unpack this a little bit. So the, the first question, and it's probably a dumb question, I'm guessing they can't that this is a product that has some uniqueness because I'm guessing they can't just call up their uh, the person they get their homeowners and car insurance from and get this product. Is that a safe assumption? That's a safe assumption. The way we describe it as an institutional life insurance policy. So it's done at a very high level. So this is not you know, I'm just going to go buy a policy for death benefit purposes, right? And mm -hmm. and let's face it, it, one of the negatives that we face is the common misconception is, oh, it's life insurance. Right. And, and for whatever reason, in our country, we've been programmed wrongly, but there's some validity to it. We've been programmed to have this negative, visceral reaction to life insurance as a financial tool, as a financial vehicle. And it's, it's warranted because historically speaking, there's been some very unscrupulous salespeople that are driving commissions for themselves. They're not looking at the best interest of the client. You know, there's reasons for that. But mm -hmm. it's unfair as well because we can have innovation and technology in every industry that we consume product with, whether it's our devices, our smart devices, whether it's our vehicles that we drive in, whether it's our houses, but people don't seem to think that there can be innovation and technology and product enhancement in the life insurance world. And that's unfair. Mm -hmm. And so we try to educate that, yeah, there is innovation in technology. There's institutional products available that on a, on a corporate level or on an ultra high net worth level, you can get access to product that the guy off the street can't get. And that's what we talk about. Gotcha. 
So why don't we start? So I'm a CPA by training and kind of a numbers guy, and I know a lot of our audience are CPAs. Why don't we? What I'd love to do is to actually start with just a very high-level conceptual scenario, and then why don't we dig into to a couple like real-life sort of case studies, you know, on a anonymous basis. Okay. So, so let's just start with like just think of a simple example with like easy round numbers and kind of describe what like this uh, hypothetical person might look like. How old yes. are they? What's the setup of the company? How big's the company? Walk me through the numbers if you would. Okay. So let's let's brainstorm a little bit. This could be in the insurance world. Let me take a step back. When most people have ever purchased life insurance in their adult life, here's typically how that process goes. I think if I die, my spouse could live off of X million dollars, right? They don't need more than that. And then it becomes a price hunt for the cheapest way to buy that X million dollars worth of life insurance. Mm -hmm. There's typically no math done to determine the validity of that number, unless you're working with an estate planner and then they're trying to figure out what that potential tax bill is due. And then you're funding a significant life insurance policy. And then that's when we get called, right? Because our clients don't write premium checks. I've also found a commonality. The more wealthy an individual is, the less interested they are in paying for something. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was just celebrities. I thought that was wealthy celebrities that uh, felt that way. Yeah. No, that's, that's the, the more wealthy you get, the less you expect to pay. Anyways. So what we do in the insurance world, there's underwriting guidelines. There's, there's ways to determine how much life insurance death benefit an individual qualifies for. And it could be based on their age. Well, it is based on their age their income, and that's all sources of income, whether it's W-2, 1099, K-1, interest, dividends, all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's there's multiples for, or a, a formula for what's the fair market value of the company today and an assumed growth rate up to a certain life expectancy age. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there, so there's math that needs to be done. And- okay. It's not uncommon for us to get this response when we tell an individual what they were qualified for. Oh my gosh, that much? So let's say I've got a 50-year-old, just for even numbers, a 50-year-old that qualifies for a $20 million death benefit. Okay. Now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create the most efficient policy possible. Right. So let's just say, and I'm not going to get into some of the details of it because some of it is our secret sauce and some of it, you know, is, is what differentiates us in the space. But let's just say the premium is a million dollars. Okay. Okay. Now, a 50 year old, even if they could afford to pay a million dollars for a $20 million death benefit, they're not interested in doing that. Because that right. eats into cash flow, that eats into assets. So if it's strictly for the death benefit, now they're looking at a term insurance policy or something lesser to to lower the burden of that cash flow opportunity. Yep. So now they're looking at potentially an inferior product because they're price hunting as opposed to trying to finance an efficient policy. 
Mm-hmm. Well, this is a successful individual, either individually or corporately. They have assets, either a personal financial statement or a corporate balance sheet to validate that they're well-to-do. And so we'll go to one of our major lenders, and I'm not going to mention their names just to keep it generic at this point, but yep. we'll go to one of our major national lenders, and they'll look at that individual's finances, and they say, we will happily finance that premium to go directly to that AAA rated insurance carrier, because we know that that insurance carrier is not going to go under. And we also know that based on the financials, either personally or corporately, that individual can support this design. Okay. And so then the out-of-pocket expense for the client becomes the interest expense on borrowing the premium. Right. And in this case, the $1 million, so interest of what, maybe 4%, 5%? Well, remember, these are, these are wealthy individuals. And so wealthy individuals or are, are, are successful companies they're used to getting good rates and terms. I've got you. So let's just say for the sake of the conversation for easy math, let's just say 5%. Okay. So, they're so that's paying... a $50,000 expense yep. for a $20 million death benefit. But the cash value is at work. The premium goes to work in the policy. The, the full million dollars is not to cover the... $20 million death benefit. Only a fraction right. of that is to cover the cost of insurance. The rest of it goes to work. Gotcha. So, and so kind of back to this example. So this person could qualify for $20 million of death benefit. Is there an assumption that they actually need that much death benefit or are they trying to have a policy that's quote more cash rich that maybe they really only need like $10 million, but they're, they're using the extra death benefit to, so, so I guess, help me understand yeah. that structure. Is it, does it tend to be a more cash rich type policy? It is definitely it a more cash rich. Okay. It's a definitely a more cash rich policy, but you brought up a key point. You said, does this individual need, does this individual qualify? See, as consumers, you and I and our clients initially look at it as need. Do I need this? Do right, I need because that? Because it's a cost. Because that's exactly we think right. It's a cost, and so why buy more than we need? Exactly. And, and and then I get statements like, "Well, I don't want her to kill me at night if I'm worth X amount of money." <laughs> and then that's you know we talk about those sort of things. But the insurance industry looks at it from a qualification standpoint because, I mean. Most of your business owners, most of your clients and listeners are old enough to remember 2000, um, September 11th of 2001, right? When the sure. 9-11 attack. Well, what most people don't realize is the federal government paid out 25 times the multiple of those individuals' earnings to those families that died in the 9-11 attack. 25 times multiples of their income. And so the industry has similar multiples for income earnings. So it's not about need, it's about qualification. And when you're financing it, not from an affordability standpoint, but from a maximum efficiency standpoint, and letting the bank lender do the heavy lifting on the financing of it, it becomes a completely, par- it becomes a paradigm shift on, on the entire process. Yeah, just like, just like if you had a choice between a, a smaller house or a larger house and the cost was the same, then you probably want the larger house. Exactly. Yep. Okay. 
Yeah, you don't say, well, geez, we don't need 5,000 square feet. We only need 3,000 square feet. But if the 5,000 square foot house uh, has the same cost, then you're like, well, we might as well have it. And the point here, which we haven't made yet, the point here is to not be gluttonous, right? To not be mm-hmm. the, the the typical American where more is better. That's not the point. The point here is we are trying to create, when possible, an opportunity for distributions from this design while the individual is alive as a living benefit, not a death benefit. Yeah, right? because they have the tax the tax preferred benefits by being able to borrow that money, right? Yeah, you're the CPA, so I'm going to let you say it the way you say it. But yes, there's distributions that are able to come out on a tax-preferred treatment basis where those individuals can supplement retirement income or they can supplement income in general. It's not not associated Mm -hmm. with an age. It's really associated with math on how fast can the growth of the policy how fast can that grow relative to the cost of the borrowing of the money, right? And when we have mm-hmm. enough excess, that's when we can start to take those distributions. So that's why we get as much death benefit as possible because that allows more premium dollars to go in based on the IRS limits. More premium dollars means more cash value. More cash value means a larger surface area to earn interest off of. You have a greater potential for compounding interest inside of that. And you've got more money, earning more money, earning more money. And that creates the opportunity for those tax-free distributions. Gotcha. And so the I think that I just read something this morning. Did the current administration just make an announcement yesterday about wanting to raise long-term capital gains rates to 43 and 0.4%. They did. Yeah, you did. So that actually, and then you combine that with the estate tax uh, exemption lowering, even though, you know, you may not philosophically agree with it as a, as a free market capitalist, I have to think that those two changes, if they occur, will only make these tools more attractive. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I'm probably slightly biased, but from a pure tax perspective, absolutely tax-free slash tax-exempt slash tax-favored, however you want to position. I'm not the CPA. That type of distribution is going to be even more powerful because we do all know this, whether what side of the aisle you voted on, we do know this. Income taxes are going up. They've already said they're going up. Capital gains taxes, preferential treatment of taxable gains or capital gains, that's going away. Above a certain threshold, it's going to be treated just like ordinary income, right? Right, right. And then then you've got property taxes going – like taxes in general are just rising. So anywhere you can get tax preferential distributions or tax-free distributions, you're going to have to take a hard look at because this issue of rising taxes, unfortunately, I don't think it's going away for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably the only way it goes away is if the politicians have the political will to uh, really focus on cutting spending, and it's hard to imagine that happening anytime soon. Yeah, cutting spending in Washington. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it's been a while since we've we've tried that. So, okay, so this has helped. And then is my assumption also correct that that over time 
that the growing cash value really becomes the primary underlying collateral for the loan more so than the individual or company's financial statement. 100%. Thank you for bringing that up. 100%. So at a certain point, the lender, they always want collateral for the loan that they're providing, right? right? What lender doesn't? Like they don't do unsecured loans. So the lender is always looking to the cash value of this policy as its first position for lien purposes. Mm-hmm. In the early years, you know, if the cash value is not equal to the loan amount for whatever reason, let's say the, not all of the interest was paid, some of it was rolled back into the loan. Okay. Well, the client might have to put up a little bit of a gap collateral. That's not true if the client's paying all of the interest current on the loan. But again, that's a design okay. issue. That's a technical issue. We can talk about that off to the side. Okay. But once the cash value is bigger than the loan amount, these policies, they have some guarantees in them that the lenders love, which is why the lenders are willing to loan money directly to those policies. When the cash value becomes bigger than the loan amount, the client has no exposure anywhere outside of what the cash value is inside of the policy. It's mm-hmm. 100% insulated in that design. And then I also assume the lender also has first right on the death benefit to uh, repay the loan, right? Say the insured like died a week into, you know, right? The first annual premium payment is borrowed and made, and then they die a week later, and the yep. cash value is not as much. I assume they have first right on carving out the top part of the death benefit to repay they do. the loan. They do, which goes and back to sense. which goes back to remember the school of thought that the client has at the beginning is they don't really need that much insurance, so that is. And, you know, we have a design feature that really talks about that and addresses that. But the insurance, the net death benefit after the loan is paid back to the lender that the client's beneficiaries receive is sufficient, more than sufficient to satisfy the client's desires. Yeah. And that's probably like a bonus for the bank, too, because I know sometimes the bank for certain loans will require a life insurance policy just to protect themselves on that risk, right? Like say you borrow $10 million to buy a company, they may very well require you to have a $10 million life insurance policy to you know, make the bank whole. Well, the nice thing about this is that life insurance risk mitigations already included in this structure. Yeah. And so from a lending perspective, I don't know if your audience or you've ever had a banker on and talked about the different tiers of risk on their loan portfolio for certain loans that they make. Have you ever discussed that? No, we have not. Tell me. About well, there's that. a there's about 15 tiers of loans from a risk perspective, and that's also how they adjust their interest rates that they're going to charge. The safest loan that can be made is bank-to-bank lending, right? Mm-hmm. They have zero risk of default. Right. The most risky loan would be an unsecured line of credit to a client, right? And we know that those rates can be extremely high. Yep. Your just to give you an example, your your primary mortgage falls in about tier seven. Okay. <laughs> your so primary it's farther, mortgage it's farther down than I would have thought. I would have thought given the at least eighty percent loan to value ratio and collateral coverage that it would have been a viewed as a lower risk. Yeah, me uh, too. But that's about a tier seven loan. Okay. okay. Um, commercial lending, depending on the type of commercial lending, can fall either just just lower than that or just higher than that. This loan is considered to be at most banks a tier one loan or a tier two loan. 
So it's either equal, either equal to a bank to bank loan or just one notch below a bank. Exactly. Because it's bank to AAA rated insurance carrier. Gotcha. And the bank is actually, and the bank is actually literally remitting the payment, right? So it's not even touching the insured's hand exactly. to further reduce that risk of any uh, you know, siphoning off of, yep. of, of that, that money. And, okay. and, and it's also categorized instead of a cash flow based loan in the lane on the bank portfolio, it's considered to be a collateral based loan in the bank portfolio gotcha. because it's always 100% collateralized. Even on, because I know I, I know a, a bit about both term and permanent life insurance, and, and it seems like most permanent life insurance I've looked at, it takes a, some period of time before the cash value exceeds the cumulative premium payments. Yeah, Oftentimes you know why? It's like, well, it's because of the commission. It's um, the commission. Yeah. So what? So, Sam is. So I want So I'm sorry. I just want to, if I may. I think you're about to answer my question, but I wanted to be really crystal clear on my question. So I thought I heard you say that at no time is the cash value less than what the premium amount was. Did I understand that? Or are you saying there's like a a relatively short period of time, like it's just months instead of years? Good question. And I'm sorry for stepping on your toes there. No, no, I kind of stepped on your toes. So go ahead. (laughs) It depends on the product that's available by the carriers in the space at the time the client's looking at the design. So yes, there are product available. There are carriers that offer product where it's dollar for dollar cash value. And there are 95% cash value to the premium going in or 90% premium to the cash value going in. And really what we start looking at there are the different features and benefits, the bells and whistles that each of those products have. The example Mm -hmm. I'll give you is if you're in the high-end luxury sedan marketplace, well, you can go to BMW, you can go to Mercedes, you can go to Lexus, you can go to Bentley, you 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 can go to all of these different manufacturers and they're all sedans. And they're all high-end sedans, but they've all got some different features Mm -hmm. and benefits and nuances. And there's a a different cost structure to them. Mm -hmm. Same thing in the insurance space. But what Cool Springs does is Cool Springs makes sure that our clients are receiving as much of the benefit early on as possible as opposed to a big fat commission Mm -hmm. to the insurance agent. And that's a nuance, but it's a significant nuance because the insurance company, from a manufacturing standpoint, the insurance company is agnostic to that decision. They really don't care because their profitability, by and large, not exactly, but is by and large baked in already. They know how long it's going to take them to be profitable, whether the commission goes to the agent or the cash value goes to the client. Right. And so that's just part of us. That's part of our DNA. That's part of our structure on how we build things to make sure the client gets the best design possible. No, that's so I must say my head is kind of swimming because I used to work for an insurance company about 30 years ago. And I, right before I left, I sold myself the maximum amount of permanent insurance I could get because I was basically able to eliminate the sales commission charge because it all went to me. And in that is I've looked at buying additional permanent insurance. That's always been 
the resistance to me is because that break even is so many years in the future. Yeah. You know, break even meaning cumulative premium payment equaling the cash value. And so, so I'm curious because, you know, you and your team, they have to be paid somehow. And so is it more like kind of a mutual fund structure that basically just has like a lower upfront fee and then kind of like a small sort of like a trailing fee? Or is it a case that the dollar amounts are so large that even a smaller commission percentage would still make it worth your time? Or is it a case where the client is just paying you a consulting fee separately from the insurance and then thereby kind of avoiding the commission charge? I know it's a long question. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Makes complete sense. Clients do not pay us fees at all, okay. right? We okay. we don't take any payment from the client. We don't take any bank payment on the bank lending side. We are strictly on the on the insurance side. Okay. And so your analysis of the former is really how it's set up. I mean, the latter is not that bad either, but it's really the former. We have gone to the insurance carriers and said, pay us over an extended period of time because they have to pay commission. Part of their agreement with the National Association of Insurance Commissioners is commission has to be paid. But the the stipulation is whether it's all heaped up front or spread out over a long period of time. So we've chosen to take the deferred payment over a long period of time, and we're really tied to the client, right? Our interest is the client's interest because now if the client for any reason were to exit the strategy with that company, our compensation also stops, right? So we are truly lined up as opposed to where it's all paid up front and really, you know what, David, I don't really, I don't care if you keep the policy or not. So we're, we're really we're headed in the same direction with the client. Yep. And I'm also getting, it's really a three-way partnership, right? Because the insurance company, if you're, if your portfolio has longer retention period, that probably makes the insurance company want to work with you more than somebody who, whose clients don't stick around. So that word in the insurance industry is called persistency and it's a okay. measurable statistic and it's a data point and Cool Springs has the highest persistency rating with all of the carriers we do business with than anybody else in the industry. Most products fall off of the books within 60 months after being written. Mm-hmm. Five years. Not the case for us. Right, and it takes an insurance company about seven years to turn a profit on these products um, that they write, and they know that. So they 100% are in agreement with you. And and Sam, our chairman and CEO, the visionary, has always said it's got to be. It's one of the only business relationships where there truly is a win-win-win. Mm-hmm. The client wins, and really, there's a fourth win, the bank. But it's a, a yep. win for the insurance industry. It's a win for the bank, it's a win for the client, and it's a win for Cool Springs. And it's and there's a fifth win. It's also a win for the beneficiary beneficiaries you bet. because they're getting uh, an appropriate amount of death benefit should the person die exactly right. than expected. So it's really a five-way win. And I, I, and I probably do a disservice to the death benefit component of this conversation. And it, it really, that is important. In fact, one of my examples we're going to go through, I'm going to talk about the importance of that because it kicked me in the teeth literally two days ago. But yes, the death benefit is 
always a critical component to this. Where I was talking about in the win, 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 win was from truly from the the living benefit side, the longevity of the product and the tax free, tax exempt distributions that the client can take. So, John, where have you and Cool Springs been all my life? My whole life, I've been looking for a product like this. And so at some point in the future or, you know, after this call, I'd love to have a conversation and talk to you more just about my, my own situation to see if there's a use for this. And additionally, I've got many clients who I think are unaware of this opportunity. So yeah. I'm really excited that you, uh, you've been on the show. Thank you. Uh, I, I Would you believe it if I said almost every conversation I have with a CEO, CFO, ultra high net worth person, that statement or some derivation of it comes out? Um, I believe you because I have the exact same conversation. We have this tax, you know, the name of the show is the IC Disc Show. The listeners know the IC Disc is a tax incentive for exporting. Only about one out of 200 companies qualify. Because of that, public companies don't use it. Because of that, almost nobody's familiar with it. So I have the mm-hmm. exact same situation. Once I explain it, what I hear is, and here's the magic phrase, and I bet you you hear it too. That sounds too good to be true. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the other one we get all the time. Where have you been? Where were you 10 years ago? And this sounds too good to be true. And the other one is, why haven't I heard of it? Right. Yep. You know, it's funny. So from now on, when people ask me that question about the IC disc, I'm going to say the same reason you haven't heard about, about premium financing is part of a corporate, you know, executive compensation structure. All right. Well, then I'll (laughs) say the same reason why you haven't heard of IC disc. Sounds great. So we'll use that as examples. And then we can allow us to basically uh, create two streams of interesting opportunities for our clients, our product, and then uh, referring it to the other guy. All right. I like how Sounds you, like you a deal. think, John. Okay. <laughs> is it time for the examples? Let's get to the case studies. This was my yeah. favorite part of school. Yeah. So you gave me a little bit of homework and it was tough. I got to be honest with you, thinking through all the different clients that we've done and all the different scenarios, it's hard to pin down three because what I don't want to do is I don't want to pigeonhole your listeners to saying, well, I'm not that company. This won't fit Mm -hmm. for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So with that disclaimer, I picked three. So they're pretty different industries. So the first one is and I'm going to speak generically to not give away identity or, or industry course. or things like that. But the first one is a is a large franchise owner. It's about a hundred million dollar revenue company, right? It's got multiple partners as a result of it, and they're in the fast food industry. Okay. Okay. So, so I for think example, that's this generic. would be yeah. So an ex- a specific example would be if somebody owned like. 50 McDonald's franchises. We're yeah. not saying it's McDonald's or Whataburger or Wendy's franchises. Okay, but something so like got, that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And, and, and so what they've got is, is they have a headquarters, right? They have a mm-hmm. central hub of CFO, C-suite executives. They've got the managing partner, the one who has the majority share of the partnership interests. And there's also limited partners, but he's the managing partner, right? And then you've got all the stores, and then you've got all the the geographical managers that manage multiple stores, right? Mm-hmm. So 
This is a three-part process that we started with them, and we're in phase two of the process with them currently. But I'll tell you what we wrote initially is we, we started to design on what was going to be 25 individuals in this company, $100 million revenue company, 25 individuals, right? From C-suite, think about the highest level, down to your probably what you consider to be a VP level, Okay. Mm-hmm. And now every company is different, what they call their hierarchy structure, but you've got the ownership yeah. next level down. You've got C-suite next level down. You've got the VP level. And gotcha. that was about 25 individuals. Well, in this process, due to some underwriting requirements on the life insurance side, some people got disqualified. They didn't okay. qualify for life insurance. Okay. Some people, David, as a CPA, this might shock you to hear this. Some people hadn't, employees hadn't filed taxes for the last few years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the CFO was bewildered <laughs> at that. They received checks, but they didn't file taxes. Anyways, so they're obviously not able to qualify because we have to prove what their income is yep. for, on a tax standpoint basis. So it whittled down to 17 people. 17 people ended up being 34 different policies. One policy for each individual is an executive retention, mm-hmm. a long-term incentive plan, a golden handcuff strategy, yep. not subject to ERISA. So they were able, the ownership group was able to customize the agreement for each 17 employees in terms of time frame, key mm-hmm. performance metrics, et cetera, et cetera. If the individual satisfies their unique employment agreement, then they will get ownership of the design of the design and be able to receive the tax-free distributions while living to supplement retirement. Okay. If they get fired for cause, if they don't, the company retains ownership of the design and it's up to the company. The company would then receive the distributions. The company then would receive the death benefit. It's just up to the company to decide what they want to do. Okay. Okay. The second policy that was put on each executive was a key person policy, which has a multiple of about 10 times the income. But I've talked to so many executive search firms and executive recruiters, and most companies don't even know how much it costs to replace a lost executive, either due to leaving, death, disability, something of the sort. But it would support it may or may not surprise your listeners to hear, but it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars when you actually calculate the cost of losing a key executive because you have to hire, recruit, train, develop, acclimate. So we did 34 policies, two on each yep. executive. One, one policy was a long-term incentive, employee retention, golden handcuff, you know, do this job over the next X number of years, and we're going to give you this potential benefit to try to supplement retirement income tax-free basis. Okay. The other policy is going to be owned by the parent company exclusively for the entire life of the individual as an employee retention tool. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, as a key employee tool. As The key employee is to, if they were to die, you know, they can have the assets there to recruit, hire, train, develop, a new individual gotcha. coming in. Okay. But it also has the same metrics of tax-free distributions. Okay. So at some point, the company is going to start receiving tax-free distributions on this key person policy, not as big as the executive retention policy, mm-hmm. but they're going to start receiving tax-free distributions and the company can do with that money what they want. 
And so the thought for this company was they're going to start to set up a, a side fund. They're going to start to fund a pension fund. And it's going to build up an employee benefit fund for their employees to start to pay out people that couldn't qualify for life insurance for health reasons. It's not their fault, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it may or may not be, but it's not fair to them. So they're going to start to take some of those assets and pay out those uninsured individuals. They're also going to use it as a rainy day fund. The CFO was salivating thinking about the possible uses of that money that didn't cost his firm hardly any out-of-pocket expense relative to the cost of the premium. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. And then the, and then is the, was part of that also then that it also gave a death benefit to the, to the survivor of the employee if they died suddenly? Was yeah. Remember there's always a death benefit, right? Yeah. But I mean, always it doesn't, but on the key person side, that death benefits going to the employer, but on the other policy, it's going said, to go to the employee's family. That's okay. the executive's okay. family. Yeah. Gotcha. It really is a feel good story to tell. It, it feels good financially because the metrics all add up and emotionally, it's exactly what employees want. They want to know that they are cared about. They want to know that we don't want you to leave, right? Now, you just, for those individuals you do or you don't mind if they leave, well, just don't do one of these on them, right? Right. I mean, you don't have to try to retain them. And you're probably, and it's probably not subject to the same discrimination rules. And we're not talking about uh, any kind of racial, racial or sex uh, discrimination, but being able to pick and choose like which employees you do this for is that yeah it's also not subject correct? to a, it's not subject to ERISA guidelines so yes you can pick and choose I want you I don't want you I want you not you not you yeah you can pick and choose okay it's very and that's also one of the challenges I face with CEOs and CFOs is because it's a blank canvas because it's a a block of molding clay they kind of get writer's block. They get, well, well, how do we start? What do we do? What do other people do? And so we can kind of point them in the right directions to get started. But that's one of the issues that we try to prevent is that because it is so customizable, they don't know how to begin, right? Mm-hmm. So the second company is a much smaller number of lives. It's $40 million revenue company two owners, multiple employees, but the owners only wanted to do this on themselves. So a combination of a calculation for buy-sell between the entities, or between the entity for the two owners, executive bonus, key man, it ended up being about $40 million on each individual. And those $40 million on each individual, while they're grateful for the death benefit, that's not their concern. It was the potential to receive a million dollars a year distribution about 15 years from now. Wow. A million dollars a year. Now, you and I both know that that million dollars is not subject to taxation. So that right. million dollars is the equivalent of about $2 million pre-tax. And any financial advisor using a 4% distribution rule or a 5% distribution rule, you know, that is the equivalent of about a $50 million bucket of money right? to take a $4 million distribution off of to get $2 million to pay tax to net $1 million. Right. So with no little to no money out of pocket, financing these policies with the design that Cool Spring specializes in, these owners 
without having to sell their company have basically created the same opportunity on a tax-free distribution that they would had they sold the company. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's really amazing. I mean, talk about leverage to the, to it, it, it exponential. But it's controlled leverage, leverage right? It's, it's extremely yeah, yeah, controlled. It's not, negative. it's not careless leverage. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. And I don't mean that I meant the literal leverage, the amplification impact. That's a great this. word. The amplification. I like that word. Okay. Yes. Well, you feel free to use it in the future. I think I'm going to. We, your own. we amplified their financial position. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Because most business owners and most of your clients, I would argue, are the same. Their retirement plan is the sell of their company. It's their exit strategy. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, it creates a very good lifestyle while they own it and manage it. Very good income. Very good strategy. We try to minimize taxes as much as legally and ethically possible. Right? But the real opportunity is the sell. And I'm not discounting that for my clients here. I'm just saying there's a way to amplify that while you own the company to create a subsequent non-correlated potential distribution stream that eliminates your need to have to sell the company. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, you really have my, the gears turning in my head and I look forward to discussing this with you more later offline. So I want to skip the third example because of how much time we've already spent. Can, like can to I touch in, on it for just a okay. second? Because uh, it's really important. Yeah, like I said, John, even though we're taking more time than I planned, I insist that we talk about the third one. So yeah. <laughs> well, let and, me and tell you way, why, because this, and, go hey, ahead. by the way, th- this is my show. We can go as long as we want. <laughs> I was just trying to be uh, sensitive to your schedule. So no, and I'm continue. sensitive to your listeners too, but this one I have to talk about is okay. because it, go ahead. It, hit, it hits very close to home. So, I'm not going to get into the details, but there's a construction company, an owner of a construction company. He's 49 years old. Okay. 49 years old. He's a very dear friend of mine, like a very, very close dear friend of mine. And luckily last year, I was able to, like you, start talking to him because no one really knows what I do. And so when I start talking to him, he's like, oh my gosh, wheels are turning, wheels are turning. And he's like, I want to do this for me. I'm like, okay. So we did it for him. Ended up being about $35 million of total insurance in force on him. Okay. He's, he's 49 years old. He is the picture of health for a 49-year-old. Works out every day. Just looks amazing. I get a phone call. I got a phone call Wednesday night. He had collapsed at the restaurant where he's picking up dinner for his wife Long story short, the Widowmaker got him. He's alive. Wow. He's alive today, um, but he lost blood flow to his major organs. He's still sedated. He hasn't woken up yet, but we know his kidney and his liver are, are struggling. We don't know the brain yet, but he's he was that close to dying, and we don't know what his life looks like when wow. he wakes up. But a, that's why the death benefit is critically important. And I immediately called my office. I'm like, how much was it? Cause I forgot. And they said mm-hmm. 35 million. That would, his wife doesn't want that money right now, but right. if something were to happen to him, she's set for the rest of her life. And you know what? His interest payment was less than $50,000. Wow. 
Yeah, and she also doesn't have to worry about you know trying to sell the business. That's right. To get the assets to support the family, so That's she right. literally could just you know walk away from the business, right, or just give she could. it to the key employees, or she could, and she would. Right. She'd give it to the key employees because they deserve it, too. Wow. But that's why wow. I had to hit that one, because, sure. you know, we talk about the tax free distribution, the amplification, the leverage. But really, it's still life insurance and that death benefit. It's not a sexy conversation, but damn it, it means something. Sure, sure. Wow, that's you no. Know, I'm glad that you insisted on putting that in there. And I'm and I'm and I'm sorry to hear to hear about the a good friend of yours going through that you have my uh, sympathies thank you wow well on that um <laughs> let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about your business and, and we've talked we've touched on some of them you know people hear life insurance and they have a near knee-jerk reaction to to run away and I think you've, in fact, told me that if you're on a plane and there's somebody next to you who's talkative and you don't want to talk to them and they ask you what you do for a living, what do you tell them? Yeah, I sell life insurance. And that's, and they're no longer... <laughs> they're uh, done. They're, <laughs> their goggles are down and they're not talking to me. <laughs> so, so what are some of the other biggest misconceptions people have? So let me hit the ones I know of. You know, oh, it's life insurance. I have a knee-jerk resistance to that. It's too good to be true. What are some of the other kind of misconceptions people have? Yeah, it's, it's you're asking me to borrow money. I, I'm told debt is bad. Okay. That's one. Life insurance... All life insurance is bad, but no one knows why life insurance is bad. It sounds too good to be true. Why haven't I heard of it? What happens if the stock market crashes for 10 years consecutive? It's never happened. What happens if interest rates skyrocket through the roof overnight? It's never happened, right? And so the, those are the misconceptions that individuals have. And you know what shocks me is that's also the misconceptions that their trusted financial advisors have, which blows my mind. It's unfortunate because most business owners rightfully have their key people to help make decisions. You're their CPA, David. They have a financial advisor that they trust to make smart decisions on financial strategies. Most financial advisors don't have a clue about this. They were never trained on this. I know this because I brought I was brought up through the career channel. I understand mm-hmm. what the big box firms teach people. They're never taught this. This right. is a specialization inside of a specialization, just like what your IC disc is. How right. many how many CPAs don't know about the IC disc? Most of them. Ninety five percent of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so where financial advisors screw this deal up for their clients that would be good candidates for us is number one, they don't understand it. Or number two, they start thinking about the potential commissions that they think we're earning and their greed gets in the way. And they're Uh, like, well, we can do a design. Well, no, you can't. No, you can't. And it's not just designing it year one. It's the every year renewal process, making sure that everything is lined up, making sure that the interest rates are low, making sure that everybody's doing what they need to be do to keep this thing moving. This is a process that's ongoing. It's not a one and done transaction. And so that's the misconceptions. It's really not, you know, we can overcome the sounds too good to be true because that's just lack of mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. We can overbecome, we can overcome insurance is a bad vehicle. That's just lack of education. All those things we can overcome, 
But the financial advisor getting in the way and blocking the deal, I hate to see that for clients because they just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. Right, right. No, that makes sense. And I'm curious, the, the cash value growth, is that it can, is there both a fixed component and a variable component? Is it, can they choose? There's some options there. It's fixed to the downside, which is only the okay. reason why the banks are willing to lend as much money as they are. There's right. no variable component to the loss, right? It has a gotcha. 0% floor. If it was subject to stock market losses, then the banks would only be willing to lend 50% of the needed amount. Right. Because now right. it's subject to SEC margin requirements. But because it's a fixed 0% floor, the banks can loan 100% of the required premium. The question gotcha. is, how do you get that horsepower on the upside? How do you get that growth on the upside? And that's where the different product manufacturers all have a little bit different derivation, whether it's tied to a NASDAQ 100 index, an mm -hmm. S&P 500 index, or some index that they've created, right? But that's where our specialization and our product expertise comes into play to help make sure we get as much positive growth as possible. That's the arbitrage we need to offset the cost of borrowing funds. Yep. No, that, that makes sense. What I'm just I've got a few other questions here, but I think in the interest of brevity, why don't we why don't we wrap up? Was there anything I didn't ask you or that we didn't talk about that you think we should have? No, I think we hit it all. We probably hit more than what can be consumed, to be honest with you. Okay. So if people want to learn more about the firm or reach out to you, what is the best way to do so? Yeah, there's really there's really three main ways. So number one, they can go to the URL premiumfinanceshow.com. Okay. So I'm going to have a podcast and we'll be launching the podcast and have different episodes and product matter experts on the show. So premiumfinanceshow.com. There's no other show, there's no other podcast that exists in our industry that's going to give the education that this show gives. Okay, okay. great. CoolSpringsFinancial.com for information about the company, or they can find me on LinkedIn and message me on LinkedIn at John M. McDonough. John on M. McDonough. So two M's in a yep, row? Yeah, two M's. John M. McDonough. And that's M-C-D-O-N-O-U-G-H? Correct. Okay. Well, this has really been a fascinating gear turning conversation. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to me. And I know the audience is really going to get a lot out of this. I hope so. I really enjoyed doing it. And any questions, forward them to me or they can find me on those three different places. That sounds great. Well, hey, have a great day and a great weekend, John. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. All right. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's ic-discshow.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information. And we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc Show.